This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Whether you want to launch your company, figure out where your business needs to be five years from now, or solve problems in your community, my guest today will show you how, then give you tools to make it happen. But before we get to the guest today, I want you to go grab my free guide. Brand new. I just wrote it. Five quick ways to conquer overwhelm. And I got the perfect URL. Overwhelmsucks.com. Overwhelmsucks.com to get my free guide, five quick ways to conquer overwhelm. Alejandro Crawford is the co-founder and CEO of Rebel Base. I love the name of that company. The SaaS equipping students, employees, and citizens to build solutions of their own. Alejandro, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. And I love your overwhelm idea. Uh, We train our users to look for not just what they want to build, which we'll talk about, but where the openings are. And certainly if overwhelm is the opening, you're going to do all right. Mm. What's interesting is when I came up with that URL, I sat in my kitchen on my computer and godaddy.com and typing different things because the reason why I got overwhelmed sucks.com is because when you're on a show or you're on someone's live or you see someone in public, you don't want to tell them to go to markstuchowski.com forward slash overwhelm, which the redirect takes you to because they're going to go, I'm sorry, what? But if I say overwhelmsucks.com, people go, first of all, they laugh. They go, that's a great URL. Then they go to it and they get my free guide. So yeah, overwhelm can paralyze people getting stuff done. And that's what I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to help 100 million solopreneurs bust through overwhelm by 2032. But enough about me. Let's talk about you and what you do, because number one, I think you have a really cool name. I don't think I've had an Alejandro on my show. This is like episode 1115. I don't think I've ever had an Alejandro on the show. So congratulations for breaking that barrier of a name. Well, with some thanks to Lady Gaga, you may find you have more. Um, in all seriousness, that name went from uh, a much more um, statistically um, limited name when I was a kid to one that's become quite prevalent uh, in the United States. Um, though I will say that Rebel Base is very global. Uh, and my work, I actually work, um, I was setting up a meeting today. Someone was setting up before me and I said, okay, we need Colorado and we need Kaohsiung, which is in, uh, on the Pacific Rim. And how are we going to do those time zones? All right. 13 hours ahead, two hours earlier, which is actually not a bad segue. I, I love what, um, you say about solopreneurs in particular and how overwhelmed one can become. And we may have some fun here because one of the things Rebel Base does is take the messy, murky, overwhelming set of things you might need to do and guide you through them in a step-by-step fashion where you don't need to go off and take the course or even read the Four Dummies book. It guides you as you go. And that's one of the biggest things we've tried to deliver Because we're living in a time where change is the norm and we need a survival kit for everyday innovation. And that's what we've endeavored to make available all around the world, something that enables everyday innovators and equips them so that organizations that need to survive get access 
to the people who already know what's broken and have ideas on how to fix it and enable those people, whether they're sitting in a classroom, a community, or a street corner, to bring their solutions in, into the light of day. Because otherwise, most of us say, hey, I know what's wrong with this, but we lack the opportunities. We lack the space. We lack the network. We lack the guidance to prove them out and draw resources and collaborators to them to make them real. I have an 84-year-old aunt who has trouble with technology, and she said to me recently, I wish we can go back to the 60s and 70s. I said, I don't. I, I like the 2022 technology. I also have an 81-year-old father who is my aunt's younger brother who has accepted and learned how to use a MacBook and an iPhone. So I don't think it has anything to do with age. I, I, I always tell my clients and my listeners, complexity is the gateway to procrastination. And I think mm. you should make things as simple as possible, whether that's a SaaS product or you're coaching someone, you need to keep it as simple as possible, not because people are stupid, but because they want to save time. And I believe if you break things down into simple steps, then they're more likely to complete the steps and get to where they want to go. Instead of spending all our effort on getting through that tangle of complexity, we can spend it on doing what needs to be done. And in what we do, it's all about doing it, getting feedback on it, testing it out and iterating it. So you've got to get through those brambles in order to do it. My father is uh, a guy who posts on Instagram every day. He's an art wow. photographer. And <laughs> when he's posting, you can't talk to him. But what strikes me about this is that there are things that he can do on Instagram um, and using the tools on his phone that he couldn't do in the dark room he built into our closet mm. growing up. We had a closet with all his photography equipment. Now, I have some nostalgia like your grandmother for how beautiful that equipment was. Uh, move over anything Apple ever made. On the other hand, what what we're actually, what gets me up in the morning, Mark, is the challenge, just as my 15-year-old niece can do more with editing a video than we could do when we built a video editing studio in the early 2000s on her phone, we think it's possible and actually now have proof that it's possible for regular people to do what only a few innovators used to do. So you don't have to hire the fancy consultant. Instead, you enable folks who see problems and want to create solutions because they're motivated to make things better to go through those simple steps, simple enough to collaborate and prove out their ideas, make the case for them and draw people to them. And the amazing thing, Mark, is that it's not just the great solutions that come out the other side. It's the way this changes people because we now have a bunch of evidence all around the world that when you go through that process, you're forever changed. I think of it a bit like the Peter Parker moment. I don't know if you remember when Spider-Man standing on top of the building in the comic book or the movie or you know, 90 versions of this now. And he's figuring out that he could sling a web and he's about to swing to that next building. Well, the folks, whether they're uh, someone who's working with the elderly and they um, have decades of experience, like someone who recently won a competition on Rebel Base, or it's someone who's a teenager. We have college students in Central Asia who've brought our platform to teenagers and the method with that. In either case, 
when that person goes through those steps, which are simple and accessible, something changes because they're using muscles they never used before. Mm. You know, a few minutes ago, you mentioned about the time zone. I want to circle back to that just for a second, because we are truly a global society now. I mean, I grew up in a suburb of Rochester, New York. I was born in 1965. And we basically had like our small town, you know, the the grocery store, the bank, the drugstore, you know, all that stuff. Now we're truly global. I mean, we're recording this on a software called Zencaster. And literally when it comes out on the 16th of July, because we just recorded this yesterday, the whole world can hear it. And to me, that blows my mind. But taking that even further is the time zones. So I got invited on uh, someone's podcast in a couple of weeks. The guy's in Georgia, not the state of Georgia, the country of Georgia. And so it's a nine hour time difference. And I've had people on my show from Australia. We have our relatives never had to deal with this. But now because we are a global world. You can literally talk to people any hour of any day. Now, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. I think we do need to take a step back from technology and being able to reach out and touch someone 24-7, 365, because we need to have that quiet time. But I am just so amazed, and I am so thankful of the technology we have now that allows us to do this. I mean, you go back in the 70s, you and I could never do a podcast like this. I would have to, we'd have to meet someplace in person and record it. And guess what? Oh, there wasn't internet back then. So how would people hear it? We had to make a get cassettes and send them to everybody. So I'm really thankful for technology. I'll tell you a story about the seventies and then the 2022. Not going to talk about paneling. Are you? I remember paneling (laughs) in the (laughs) seventies. No paneling for me. I was basically one of the kids from Stranger Things, except in uh, the inner city. Um, (laughs) But I was obsessed with working on a sailboat. Um, I had... I had worked as a in a kitchen at a camp and learned to sail uh, in Maine. And so I had a cousin in Maine and I kept saying, Karen, I want a crew on a sailboat. And she was trying to find me a crew, but without any internet, it was actually something that seemed impossible for me. As a kid growing up where I grew up, I it, it ended up with her saying, I've talked to people at the harbor. You basically need to come up here walk around the harbor and see if you can get somebody to let you on their boat. (laughs) And my mother didn't tell me not to do um, too many things. And in fact, was always very supportive of me making my own way when I could make the case, but she was not having that. So (laughs) no sailboat. Fast forward to 2022. And I, at Christmas, I got a book from someone in Dhaka, in Bangladesh that hadn't been published in the United States yet, even though it's a book written in English. And this book meant so much to me. It was Amartya Sen's autobiography because that's someone on a personal level who I've, whom I've come to think of as a friend and collaborator, although we've never met. Hmm. And when you expand that to the work we're talking about, he and I and our colleagues around the world run sessions where someone in the Middle East says, we've got this problem, we're trying to solve it. Maybe it has to do with education or water or what have you, or or an industry they're interested in. We're trying to solve it. And then they end up, then somebody in Bulgaria 
gets on and says, hey, you know, we're having a problem that's not the same, but here's our version of it. And this incredible thing happens where instead of imposing cookie cutter solutions the way industry used to do, we're actually building for local soil. Now, I think that's extreme, extraordinarily important. And I'm going to give you one quick reason that has to do with pizza and the Beatles. Pizza reason goes like this. My wife loves the pizza you can eat in Naples, Italy for good reason. But I grew up on the pizza of Upper Broadway in New York. (laughs) And the brothers who made that pizza, Sal and Carmine, would talk about how they brought the recipe um, from Italy in the 50s. But you know why their pizza will never be like Neapolitan pizza? It's the New York City water. Ah. And so they tried and failed to make the pizza from home and made something that I think is extraordinary because they had to use our water. And I would argue that the Beatles happened because John and Paul were trying to sing like Chuck Berry, failed miserably, and made up something great in the process. Wow. Uh, Very, very interesting. You, You know, you have to wonder, would the Beatles have been as big as they were if they came out in 2022, my daughter, she's 24 and she still is Google over one direction, which isn't even the band. She went to all the concerts and she knows all the songs and Harry Styles and all the people that she just loves them, but she's never met them. And mm. one of the advantages of the technology is we have access. I mean, I have actually sent messages to Grant Cardone. He's replied, you know, one word, but he replied. And also I sent a message to Gary Vaynerchuk. By the way, if you want to email Gary Vaynerchuk, you put the entire email in the subject line and you use like six words. And he actually replied. It was amazing. But we have access to, you mentioned Lady Gaga earlier or, you know, Tony Robbins. We have access unlike we ever had before. I remember one of my the people I really liked was a girl named Sheena Easton out of Ireland. And I got to go see her at like one of these carnivals or amusement parks way back when I was a young, back in the early eighties. And I remember she was up on stage and then there's this big gap where the security and there I was in fr- the front row. And I thought that was so cool. But nowadays you can actually reach out and send a message to, it could be a Warren Buffett. It could be a Mark Cuban. It could be an NBA or NFL sports player or a world cup player. And it's amazing. Now, you probably won't hear back from them because they got like 20 million followers. But I think the access is incredible in this day and age. You know, I would argue that that access has always been the source um, of everything that matters economically and culturally when it gets made. Just as those young kids in Liverpool had to get these records coming from the United States. Go Google what a record is. We're not talking about Olympic record. So if you're a younger listener, go Google what a 33 RPM record is. (laughs) Yeah, I grew up with those uh, for reasons that I can get into if you want. Um, Although they were not of my uh, era completely, meaning I was mostly a dub the tape guy. Because uh, yep. that was free. <laughs> On the other hand, my dad did a, t- a radio spot called Today in Music History, and I'd get wow. the records I'd never heard before. But those let me jackets, focus. You know, those jackets were awesome, okay? Because now the streaming, you lose the the album art. But when you got a record, I mean, the the cover of the album, I mean, 
The CD was a mineralite, 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 I can't say the word, mineralite, miniaturized version of it. But the actual record jacket, they were impressive. Some of these artists that came out with them. So let's look at how that applies to folks that are creating solutions in the real world in the way we were talking about. Mm-hmm. We have, I think of it as the idea of the Tesseract. But before I get into that, Let me tell you about a conversation I had with Joe Lovano and Chucho Valdez. These are a great jazz sax and pianists, a sax player and pianist. And um, I went up to them backstage, the concert they'd given, and they start explaining. So Chucho's from, from Cuba and Joe's from the U.S. And they start explaining that the reason jazz happened as they see it was there were steamships going from Cuba to New Orleans and the crews would play music together. So you had these crews playing music that was different. It came from different traditions. And if you've ever seen a church service in Havana, you know where Son came from. It came from that. But -hmm. then they start playing with folks from New Orleans and something extraordinary happened. Not too different from what I said about John and Paul trying to play like Chuck Berry. But what you needed was that coming together, that confluence. And often it was one that happened due to economic accidents. Now, today we're in a moment where we can make that confluence happen, where you don't have to be little Alejandro wishing he could crew on a boat in Maine. Most of us in our little ecosystem, in our little world that we grow up in and we work in don't actually have access to that steamboat crew from Cuba. Don't actually have access to those, um, those singles coming from the U S today. However, that access is possible. And this is an extraordinary distinction. We hear a lot of folks bemoan the, fact that we're on Zoom together. And don't get me wrong, Mark, I'd love to be sitting in a cafe with you right now. At the same time, my colleague Asina in Montreal, who does a lot of work with Francophone Africa, was at a conference called Francophonie of folks doing innovation and social innovation in French-speaking countries around the world, 70 countries, I think. And she said, you know, this year, this is during the pandemic, she said, of course I missed sitting down and breaking bread with people. Nevertheless, I got to work with people I'd never worked Mm. with before. And the extraordinary thing happening now across those time zones is that that engineer from Berlin is working with that designer from Bulgaria, from Sofia, and that, um, that lawyer from Jerusalem. And, and I could go on, right? And they're working for somebody from Central Asia and the Pacific Rim and so forth. And when they can combine, they're no longer, for the first time in history, you don't have to get to London like a character in the English novels I grew up on. You don't have to get to New York like the old song uh, says you have to do. Um, Instead, you can connect via a tesseract of sorts, right? You can collapse time and space to collaborate with people who think differently from you, brings distinct skills, have access to different water and different local soil in, in all the ways we've been talking about. And that is the most generative thing in the world. And that's what all of our work is designed to make possible. It's what gets me up in the morning and keeps me up at night. 
I happened to see a video on YouTube not too long ago of an audition on America's Got Talent. And these two people that were on the stage had never met until the day before. And the judges were like, wow, that's amazing. But what they didn't understand is these people had been collaborating probably over Zoom and doing the tracks. So they they didn't meet in person until the day before, but they've been working with each other for a very long time because of technology today. That's what I, I people got to understand. There's more to the story. There's always a story behind the story. I have a colleague in Barcelona. We have a team in Barcelona based named Tomas. And he said to me, you know, Ali, 99% of our work is virtual. We're on Zoom, we're on Slack, we're on Rebel Base. But it was that sangria we had um, next to the Sagrada Familia, and it was wandering around uh, Manhattan and the Hudson Valley together that made this possible. So I know I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. I'm saying two different points, but I figure there's probably – um, a magic combination where you and I find a way to break bed, bread together. Mm-hmm. We find a way, even if all we've got is the video, to engage with each other in a way that isn't scripted or formal um, or making us feel like we're on stage. For example, I don't know how to do it in this software, but I always hide the self-view when I do any Zoom or other mm-hmm. video conversations. Because I, I would never have a conversation with you looking at a mirror, <laughs> a hand mirror while <laughs> I talk true. to you and make me nuts. I'm not really interested in myself. I'm interested in you and what you have to say. And anything I say is intended to stir that pot. Nevertheless, there's probably a perfect combination where we find ways to connect as human beings. We find ways to align our unconscious minds and, and laugh together. Um, and then we collaborate using all these tools because of their reach, their efficiency, because they bring that Tesseract. If you don't mind, I'm going to add one more thought here. Absolutely. There's a podcast with Alan Alda, the comedian, when he says- I remember him from MASH. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that's the guy. He's done incredible work working with scientists around the world in recent decades. But they ask him, how does comic timing work? And he gave what I thought was the best explanation I had ever heard. He says, the key to comic timing is that the pause is exactly the length of time for the thought process to get to the place where the punchline matters. So you pause just long enough for the brain to catch up and then you hit that next note. And I thought this was revolutionary because it's that that we're often missing in these digital interactions. It can be harder to do things like comic timing or to do things like share a cup of tea, coffee, whatever it is that they drink the most in your country. But that doesn't mean the digital tools can't do it. In fact, we have evidence now in 13 countries that the in-depth interactions are possible. I spoke with a young man recently who said, what I really miss taking classes online is that feeling the professor knows who I am and might at any moment ask me a hard question. Well, one of the things we've done on Rebel Base is develop functionality um, that allows anyone who publishes something they've done, right? So they use a module, it guides them, and they maybe they publish their prototype, or maybe they pro- pu- publish an analysis of their competitive space, whatever it is. They publish that, and then they get folks from all around the world coming in with hard questions, 
resources they're suggesting, um, constructive criticism. And so right there, what's happening? It's not that we had to be in person to have that sense of knowing who one or another were. It's we need to get better at using digital tools, not just watch video and answer questions. Forget about that. That's far too passive. One of our investors says to me, you know, I was taking these MOOCs, massive online courses from one of the top schools, and I just watched the video and answer questions about it. We're still, there's research that says, and when I just watch the video, I have the illusion that I've learned what it's doing. But mark my words, we can use digital tools to have us really do things. So we have skin in the game and to have us really connect with people. So we're criticizing each other constructively. We're going through the iterations till something works in the way that that same friend who sent me the book at Christmas from Bangladesh says the people he worked with when he was first creating his venture, SoulShare, that told him how great it was, the way we're tempted to do in video, he never worked with again. But the ones that criticize him, he works with to this day. That's Sebastian Mm. Grohl. Do you feel overwhelmed and frustrated? Are you under a lot of stress? There's a better way. You only get one life. So why not feel peace and freedom and enjoy your life? You can. Find out more at 90daystobustingoverwhelm.com. Interesting. I want to just circle back to the timing you talked about with Alan Alda. One of the best storytellers in the world today, in my professional opinion, is Dave Chappelle. This guy is a master storyteller, and his comedic timing is, I don't think there's anyone that comes close to him. If Now, he is on the vulgar side, and the one thing about Dave Chappelle no one's safe. He attacks everyone, doesn't care what your religion is, doesn't care what your sexual identification, uh, how you identify, uh, if you're rich, poor, doesn't care. But his timing, if you can get past that, and, and I struggle with his, you know, vulgar language and some of this topic matter, but I wanted to watch him because I heard that it's like a master class in timing in storytelling. And I've watched all his specials on Netflix. The guy is genius the way he talks. And you're right about the timing because you can't say the punchline too quickly because you got to wait for the people to catch up because you want everybody to get at the same time. So I just think it's amazing that you have this thing called Rebel Base, which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. But I just want to say that about Dave Chappelle. Now, in the very beginning, I told people that I said, these are my exact words. I'm going to read them because I'm going to read them over again, that if they want to launch a company, figure out where their business needs to be five years from now or solve the problems in their community. What are some, and now you already gave us a lot to think about, a lot to digest, but is there anything else that maybe you want to fill in the gaps from what we promised in the beginning of the episode so they don't walk away and go, hey, you didn't deliver? Yeah, let me start with, the sad story of how things have been up until now. Okay. <laughs> Most of the time, if you're looking around you and you see something that's backwards, and folks listening to this or watching it, take a moment. Think of something around you that's just backwards, the way it works. It could be the way the traffic snarls in your neighborhood. It could be the way the supply chain at your company. It could be the way... Um, food gets to your table. Think about something, the way kids are educated, the way we take care of the elderly. Think of something where you look at it and you're like, oh, come on. This is so stupid the way this works. Now, up until now, Mark, 
when someone has that feeling, most of the time they've had to essentially say, if you can't beat them, you might as well join them. Mm-hmm. Most of the time I've had two bad options, complain about it and hope the powers that be listen. <laughs> Try to get somebody to listen to me in one way or another, or get used to it and rent out the rest of your days to something you know is broken already. Live with it. Now, entrepreneurial people have always been those who see the thing that's backwards and launch an experiment in a new way it could work. Mm-hmm. And what sets entrepreneurship apart is not whether you're starting a business or an initiative in your company or something in your community. That doesn't matter. The definition that I care about is that you launch an experiment in the way it could work and you proved it with limited resources. In fact, you had to draw the resources to you. You didn't start with those resources. All right. So that is the entrepreneurial mindset. We call it the rebel way, right? And we, entrepreneurship is a word with so much baggage. People think it's some stupid shark tank thing. No, <laughs> we're talking about the rebel way, which means I look at something that doesn't make any sense. And instead of accepting the bad bargain, complain or join, mm. I connect with other people to try to experiment on a better way and prove that it could be better, prove that it's viable, that I could get it off the ground, prove that people would actually want it, right? Not always as easy as it sounds, prove that it could pay for itself. And so what you're doing on Rebel Base is you're taking the people who already know how to solve all problems, who are sitting, counting the clock in a cubicle, listening to somebody in a classroom talk about the way things used to work and knowing they're going to have to answer back on the test, even they, though they know it's obsolete, standing on that street corner or, or um, rural four-way somewhere and saying, this is crazy. We could do things differently um, in this city. We could do things differently in this agricultural community, something we do on Rebel Base. So that person now gets to go through a structured set of modules that show them what to do as they build. And what makes it a rebel-based module is that you don't need any prior background to use it. You never see a term where you need some specialized vocabulary to understand it. And it makes it accessible and fun to learn as you build. And that last piece is crucial about it being fun to learn as you build because For too long, we've said, I'm going to send you off to school for two years, for six years, whatever, and then maybe we'll listen to you. Oh, yeah, to to do 20 years in this career track, and then maybe we'll listen to you. That's crazy. And frankly, things are changing too quickly for organizations to operate that way. An organization near you, be it a company, be it a, a nonprofit, be it a school, whatever it is, that organization is going to have to shift the way it does everything very quickly. We are dealing with a set of waves, big waves that have already built on the horizon that I would argue are bigger than the ones when they built the railroads and the canals. We have AI changing what most jobs will be like. The routine part of your job is going to be done by a machine. Secondly, we have the shift to green, $30 trillion in ESG investment. Let's not even talk about um, policies and accords. Right now, I'm just focused on the investment. That investment means your supply chain will change, your product set will change, the way you do business will change. When we have factors like those, and I could go on, the demise of the traditional office, sure, there's folks trying to send everybody back to work, 
but mark my words, we will have people from all over the world getting to become knowledge workers. It will no longer be that I got to get to Boston, New York, or DC, or London, or Beijing for that matter, to use my brain to figure out how to do things better. That is permanently over. And because all these things have changed, right? I call this the Kodak moment. And I don't mean the one where everybody is smiling in front of the camera. I mean the one where in about 1991, everybody at the Buffett group was saying Kodak had another good uh, many quarters of growth ahead. And indeed it did, but its model was done over. That's where we are. And unless we enable people in the rebel way, unless we turn innovation into an everyday activity where whether you see yourself as entrepreneurial or not, you're participating in a team. You're using that accounting skill you got, that tinkering skill you got, that motivating people skill you got, and working on a team to figure out a better way, then your organization, your community, your company is going to get left behind. And I don't say that lightly. Right. Um, you know, I, uh, many of us come from communities where there's empty warehouses because industries passed our communities by. If we want that not to be the case, we need to equip regular people to launch those experiments. And Mark, I'll tell you a secret. Most of those experiments will fail. And that's a good thing because through the process of failing at them, we build the muscles, which make us the kind of people who can collaborate on experiments of our own so that no longer do we see something broken and just say, ah, I wish somebody would listen to me. Ah, I'm going to yell loudly into the internet. Ah, you know what? I'll just do my time and clock out as soon as I can. Forget all that. I become a rebel, which is going to be everybody in the world. I envision where it'll be normal that there's an organization making rebel base available to you and all the experts whose methodologies have become accessible and fun to use in the rebel way to do anything you need to do to create your own experiment and build that muscles, those connections, and frankly, a portfolio of what you can do, not just what you've been taught. You remember earlier in the show, I shared about my aunt who is very resistant to technology and advancements and AI and all that good stuff. Well, one story I tell her that she absolutely hates is I heard a number of years ago, they were shutting down a mine in Pennsylvania and they said, we're, we're just going to close the mine down. And there's like 60 miners in there. You know, the, the, the actual numbers could vary. And they said, tell you what we're going to do because we don't want to just like make you guys unemployed. We're willing to train anyone who wants to learn how to code. Now, these guys have been in mines their entire lives. 30, 50%, 30 of the people said, I want to learn how to code. I'm 50, 60 years old. I'm willing to learn. The other people went off and complained. And I think that is fascinating because these people go, oh, so my job is going away, but you're willing to help me find a 2022 or whatever year it was, uh, a skill. And I think it was fascinating how the one group just said, screw you, you're closed down a mine, you don't care about me, you're not supporting me, and they went off and sulked. But the other 30 people probably benefited and prospered because they learned a new skill. Do you not find that fascinating? I do. I want to add two points to it. First, let me personalize it. My great-grandfather was a copper miner. In fact, he died when my grandmother was very young because of exposure to the copper mines of mm -hmm. Arizona. Um, but I found one day um, the little certificate from when uh, he crossed into the United States and it said, Teofilo Acosta, minor. 
So he was someone who was a miner, and that's where our family came from. And all the education I've had access to, never have had if he hadn't taken that job in that mine, if my great-grandmother hadn't raised eight children in the Depression in L.A., um, barely speaking a word of English. So uh, when you talk about miners, I take it very seriously. I'm not like, oh, well, you know, um, sorry, it's over. But we need to complicate the story. So if you tell every – so the, first of all, it's true. I deal with coding academies that right now – is the best time to have good coding skills. I mean, it's bad for people like me because it's very expensive to hire coders <laughs> and you're competing with all the coders being hired by Jeff Bezos and his cousins by the dozen. Um, that having been said, speaking of folks who grew up in Arizona, that having been said, we've got to complicate the story. So yes, we need to create that opportunity. But what we can't do is just assume that Everyone is going to go from their skill set as a miner to new skill set as a coder. Instead, what we need to do is focus not on the job, but on the job generator. Let me emphasize this. Okay. For too long, we've been saying, well, let's create this job and train you for it. Here's what's wrong with that. First of all, um, the half life of jobs has shortened, right? Yes. So it used to be you ask industry, what are the jobs going to be in 10 years? We pretty much know. Not the case anymore, all right? The jobs are changing faster. Secondly, all net new job generation, certainly in the U.S. economy, um, and, and with apologies, I only know the U.S. stat on this, comes from not small businesses, but new businesses. So businesses of all kinds create and destroy jobs. But new businesses generate all net new jobs, meaning after the jobs they destroy, all of them. Now, why does this matter so much? It matters because if you put that together with the previous point, Mark, which is that change is happening faster, unless we invest in the people who create the job we haven't even thought of, we're done. And I'm going to add a third point, which is pretty scary news. Think about a somebody... Okay, so we talked about the 70s. I remember I used to have a little passbook and go to the bank. Yep. I remember when the ATMs <laughs> came in, right? Yep. And I loved my bank teller, right? There are jobs that you think are always going to be there. They're the characters on our TV shows. The routine part of the job is already there's already some Silicon Valley guy, and actually Andrew Young has lots of good data if you read his book about this, who has invested in replacing that job with AI or with bots or what have you. Now, does that mean we should throw up our hands and just say, forget it, we're not going to have jobs? In my view, no. In my view, the part Young doesn't get right is the prescription because Venture for America was important. But we need to go beyond that. We need to get much more creative and, frankly, open, wide open that's redundant. We need to break wide open who has the skills to create something new. And whether that's a little community program or it becomes a huge multinational or it's an entrepreneurial innovation, something where we build it within our organization. And the newest um, set of modules on Rebel Base is Aurora Winslade's uh, toolkit for entrepreneurial innovation. But we need to make it possible that 
someone is creating the job for the percentage of those coal miners who really aren't going to be able to take those coding jobs, which is in many cases a large percentage. We need to be figuring out the ways of configuring work. So there's not just jobs, but quality jobs for them and for all those retail workers, for all those drivers of vehicles, for all those accountants and doctors, because this will affect white collar work too. We've got to democratize job creation. And that's what Rebel Base does. I remember when the Macy's in our local mall was closing about five years ago. And I w- we were in there because they're having, you know, everything must go. And I remember one of the employees came up to us and they said, oh, this is not fair. What Amazon is doing, you know, woe is me. And I remember something Gary Vaynerchuk said. Why did Macy's become the next Amazon? Or when the hotel chains got upset at Airbnb, why didn't they come up with Airbnb? Or why didn't Yellow Cab come up with Uber and Lyft? See, it's real easy to complain. But people looked at Jeff Bezos. Oh, he's just going to sell books. Oh, just VHS tapes. Go Google that. Now he sells everything. Grocery. I got my groceries delivered from Amazon Fresh now. People think, like you said, oh, my job is always going to be here. This is too big of a company to fail. Uh, MySpace. I mean, no one is guaranteed a job. And I think what you need to do is say, okay, obviously it's a given. Life is going to continue changing. The world's going to keep changing. You need to stay alert. You need to stay knowledgeable. You need to know what's going on instead of doing nothing. And then your world crumbles and you go, well, I'm Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Well, look at me. What happened when you have to know, you may not know what's going to happen, but you know something is going to happen. And I think if you look at the most successful people and companies in the world today, they're not resting on their laurels. For example, yeah. during the, the pandemic, how many people are just sitting there binge watching Netflix for two years? And now we're coming out the other end and they're going, oh, what are those dots in horizon? Oh, those are all the people that kept on working during the pandemic. Wow, I'm really behind now. Well, you made a choice. You want to binge watch Netflix. Well, now you're now you're you're reaping what you sowed. So I'm glad you put this in AA Milne terms because what we need to do is change the way Kanga raises Rue. Let me explain what I mean. Kanga is a little overprotective, right? She wants Rue in that pocket, but Rue wants to go out, have adventures, and jump around. We need to enable more people to be having the adventure where there's no paint by numbers. They're creating solutions without a blueprint. Mm-hmm. That's what I've left out of the story before. The solutions we need to create don't have a set of steps that we already know. And so the skills, the mindset we need to learn is one where I'm figuring out the steps. Now I can speak to some of the research before that, but I want to go back to the reason those opportunities gets missed. The reason that incumbent firm so often misses the chance to invest in the next model. And I'm going to give you three, but the first is simply that the fishing's too good. I spent a lot of time in Rochester myself, and I, I remember seeing a great film, I think some Kubrick film at the Eastman Kodak Theater. Uh, George Eastman, the mm-hmm. Eastman had created a theater. <laughs> Don't want to get all my facts wrong. But Kodak, of course, had created the technology for digital cameras. 
Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, people always say, well, why didn't they invest in it? Well, it was because the fishing was too good. Mm-hmm. It was, it's great. I'm selling, I'm charging you money for film, for <laughs> developing film. Why on earth would I invest in these digital cameras? Why don't I make any money on film if I'm the incumbent? This is the first problem we have. It's the fishing's too good. And pick any of the models you just talked about, right? Um, Barnes and Noble and Amazon. I, I've written about this or um, the traditional taxi companies. Whoever the hotels and Airbnb, Hilton's not going to create an Airbnb to cannibalize its business. Forget about it, right? Yeah. We can talk about some of the reasons, but there's two other reasons I want to emphasize. The second, second one has to do with who's making the decisions and greenlighting the funds. Mm. Far too often, incumbent models, we think that they're being that they're competitive. They're not competitive at all. They're protected by regulation and market power. If you look at John Letary's data from Economic Innovation Group, um, incumbency is has been on the rise for decades, and there's a small um, exception to that uh, around the time of the pandemic. But mostly, the average American—again, I only know the U.S. data—is working for older firms, right? Mm-hmm. And the the engine of our economy which for 40 years was new starts, except for that blip around the pandemic, which is, 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 has some potential, is down. Now, we can talk about the reasons that new starts are down in terms of all the taxes on an individual. And I don't literally mean government taxes right now. I mean, cost of healthcare, cost of rent, cost mm-hmm. of educational debt. It's so hard to experiment and be a risk taker as a young person today. We can talk about that if you want. But just for a second, let's focus on the power of the incumbent. We have non-performing industries that have imposed externalities. That means made the rest of us pay their costs and called it profit. There's $5 trillion plus going into petroleum-based um, industries. That's They're basically existing on government handouts. And when J.P. Morgan Chase uh, invests in that deep water well, right, that incremental investment, which would be too expensive if things change so often, it's because of the global subsidy. Now, if you're trying to invent something that's the future that can be where the jobs go when the old model is disappearing and you're fighting against all those incumbency advantages. Incumbents already have built-in advantage. The leading brand in any market has a much easier time, if you remember the book Eating the Big Fish, than even the B or C brand getting attention. Um, The incumbent typically has regulatory advantages, has market power. We don't even need to get into it. So it's amazing that anybody ever challenges the incumbent, whether with a new startup or from outside, but we do. I would argue that if there's one thing I'm proud of as, as a native New Yorker and American, it's our tradition of that. But that tradition is embattled today. We are at risk of becoming a nation of complainers instead of a nation of people who build mm-hmm. things as experiments. And don't listen to the folks who say, by the way, I built this without any help. To that person, I say what Marissa Tomei uh, said to Vinny in the old movie uh, when he's finally gotten, what is it, his nephew out in the movie My Cousin Vinny. You might have to admit you succeeded with help. Come on, let's be real. The <laughs> entrepreneur has an impossible job already. Let's not make them do it 
with their with both hands tied behind their back. And I don't just mean traditional business entrepreneurs. I mean everyone creating a new exper- experiment, a new school, a new product in their firm, um, a new way of doing things in their city or rural region. Hmm. Wow. I, the, what you have told us over the last 45 minutes or more has been incredible. I mean, this is definitely one of those episodes people are going to have to re-listen to because you have given us so much to think about. And if they're like me, your head's going, whoa, what just happened? It's okay because in just a minute, Alejandro is going to tell us where we can find him and what he's doing in the world. But I just want you to understand We're not expecting you to take everything he said and go do something with it. Let it, let it marinate and and think about it and re-listen to it and maybe take some notes and, 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 you know, life is going to keep on moving whether you want it to or not. You can be like my aunt and complain about, oh, technology and all this other stuff. I wish it was the 1970s. I don't wish it was the 1970s. I like 2022. I'm excited about the future. I like the fact that I can take 4K videos on my iPhone 13 Pro Max and post them on social media. I love that technology. I love the fact that I can have this conversation with Alejandro and we're not in the same room. And I, I just am so thankful for everything you share with us on the show today. So, Alejandro, where can we go to find out more about you and Rebel Base and all that stuff? Because I know people are going to want to reach out to you. Absolutely. Um, the new issue of the Stanford Social Innovation Review, their summer issue, it's in newsstands now, or you can get it online, uh, their What's Next sesh- section is about Rebel Base. It's an article called Rebel Base Democratizes Entrepreneurship. So if you want to read the latest press on us, there's also a recent, uh, if you're interested in the education side and not the innovation side, and I mean education in the broadest sense, Heckinger Report had a great piece written this spring um, by a woman in the construction industry using Rebel Base to develop new solutions, Sonia Lemus-Wright. There's news you can read about us um, but if you, I'm actually going to quote my friend, the great Hunter Lovins, if you want to find us, here's what you do. As she says, here's what I tell my staff. If you have an idea for the way something could work, go online to rebelbase.co and run it through. Good news is this, the first five builders and this is so much you can use to analyze a broken system, develop an alternative, assess the competitive environment, figure out your target. Those are free for anyone in the world. And in fact, our model is not to charge the rebel. So we would love it if you got your employer or your university or uh, chamber of commerce or other community organization uh, to get a role-based subscription. That's how we make our money. And that makes a whole wealth of tools from how to make the case for an internal innovation to how to um, figure out the financials of something that's new. But the best way is what Hunter says. If you have an idea, go on rebelbase.co, follow the steps, run it through. Lastly, um, I'm pretty easy to reach through Rebelbase. Um, so uh, I'm, uh, I live for this stuff. Um, what gets me through reading the newspaper in the morning are the people who say, as my, I'll, I'll close with my favorite quote from one of our students this year who said, you know, I used to have Facebook open on my device every day. Now it's Rebel Base. 
And at least I feel like I'm doing something productive. <laughs> I'll add having a good time along the way. <laughs> Heavy and productive, obviously, as I'm Mr. Productivity. Alejandro, thank you so much for being on this show today. An incredible, incredible episode. Mark, it's a real privilege. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. Don't forget to head on over to my website, overwhelmsucks.com and get my free guide, five quick ways to conquer overwhelm. It's my gift to you. 100% free, no strings attached, overwhelmsucks.com. And until the next episode, go be productive.